Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Breakfast in the Class today is dedicated uh, in loving memory of Isaac Hedeya, Alava Shalom, Lilu Nishmad, Yitzhak Ben Esther, sponsored by Carol and Maurice Silvera. As well, Breakfast in the Class is dedicated in loving memory of David Barmoha, Alava Shalom, Lilu Nishmad, David Ben Saada, from his wife Sylvia, children Yigal, Asher Roni, Yossi, Nir, and Shiran, and family. My friends, <clears throat> There's um, a beautiful pasuk uh, in this week's parasha that goes as follows. Oh, we have one more as well. As well, Breakfast in the Class is also dedicated in loving memory and Lilunishma Joel Joseph Izan, Alava uh, Shalom, Yosef Ben Salcha, by his daughter and son in law, Lauren and Shimon Avital, Tenishmato, Tzurah, Tzurah Haim. And uh, as well by Robert Yadgrove in honor of everyone, wishing everyone Hatzlaha and a wonderful and successful year and beyond. So the Pasuk tells us, Vatishahet ha'aretz ha'aretz hamas. So we're reading about this world that God has just built, right? Even though it's one parasha'in, uh, in terms of years, it's quite a few years since the beginning of creation. Right, from Adam all the way to Noah, it's quite some time has passed. But right, all the end of last week's parashas, all the generations that we went through to get to this point. But it's relatively in the beginning of the human story. And the world is, has become so corrupt that God eventually needs to destroy the entire earth. To hit the reset button, to start again. The Sepharim tell us that it was so corrupted that the concept of the flood was actually like putting the whole world in a mikveh. That was the idea of the flood, to purify everything, um, not just to uh, have things drown or be destroyed in the flood, but rather to be rectified through it. And the pasuk in mentioning this hashchata, this destruction, this devastation uh, of the people's moral character and fiber, it says, and the earth had become corrupted in front of Hashem, and the earth had become full, uh, it became full of Hamas. Hamas usually means, like we say, Hamasnu. What does that mean? It means when you take something forcibly from someone else against their will. Um, but the, uh, the classic term of stealing is, diff is different and differentiated from the term of Hamas. Does anyone know? What's the difference between gezel, stealing, and chamas, which also means theft, stealing? What's the difference? What is known and what is unknown. Oh, so you're saying the difference between gezel or, and gezela and geneva. Gezela is in broad daylight, armed robbery, middle of the day, Fifth Avenue, chalas, guns, okay? Geneva is middle of the night, you tunnel underneath into the store, you tunnel back out, nobody knows the difference, that's geneva. So gezel, and, uh, you know, Gzela and Geneva are different in terms of public and private. But Hamas, or, right, or Hamasnu, refers to something else. It refers to you taking something from someone against their will, but in a way that you cannot be charged for it. You can't be, uh, you can't be taken to task for it. So what would be an example? I have an ob object. I don't want to sell it. You come to me and you tell me, I want to buy it for $100. I say, no. $200, $500, you keep pushing me, pushing me, you embarrass me, you humiliate me, or you put a gun to my head and you say, sell me the property, and you pay me the value of the property, or even more than the property. Did you steal anything from me if you paid me for it? 
you'd think, no, I paid you for it. Right? I paid you for it. Could, that's not stealing. I forced you to sell it to me. So if I use force to take something from you and I pay you for it, that's called Hamas. I always say as well, included in that is when we force people using all the various tools at our disposal to do something that they don't want. Let's say you have, you're in a position of power or you're in a position of influence and you force someone to do something they don't want to do. Even if you're not taking anything from them, that forcing of an agenda against somebody else is termed, is in, in, incorporated in this idea of Hamasnu. So what does it mean, Hamas? Now that we know that that's the definition of Hamas, taking something from someone in a way that you can't be taken to task for it because I paid you, what do you want from me? We now understand that the context where the Gemara says that what were they doing? The people would come and they would see a man going to the market. And the man was going to the market with, uh, you know, a, a tray full of mlabas. Big basket of mlabas. I don't know what, know what mlabas is, right? Well, the Halabis know what that is. It's the candy-coated almonds that they throw at the, at the simachot, which is the single worst candy to throw at simachot. It's hard. It cracks and makes pieces all over the floor, Right? It's also the kids, you know, are devastated when they get them because they break their teeth, number one, so you have to pay dental bills. And number two, the surprise inside is not chocolate, it's an almond, okay? So it's the worst, but it's the Syrian traditional thing that they used to throw, okay? I always thought that, uh, you know, the Ashkenazi must love their son-in-law's uh, daughters, and they must love their grandchildren more. They're throwing like marshmallows. <laughs> We're throwing hard, you know, coated nuts. I'm not sure, you know, what that says. Or that traditional candy that only ever gets whipped out uh, at Simachot is the sun-kissed. Do you remember those? It's basically like throwing a pillow at someone. So I'm good with that one too, all right? But either way, guy goes to, to the market. He's taking them labas with him. Each one of those labas, how much does it cost? Maybe it costs a nickel, a dime, small amount. You can't open a case in, in small claims court for an amount less than a dollar, let's say. The halakha is, you can't take someone to Bedin on pachot mishaveh peruta, which means less than the value of the smallest coin in, in circulation. So what would happen? As the guy would go, everyone would take a piece, everyone's helping themselves to one, just one. Come on, what's the big deal? By the time the guy gets to the market, says the Gemara, says the Midrash, he has nothing left. Who's he gonna, who, who can he point his finger to? Who's he gonna take to court? Who, how's he gonna get his money back? Nothing to do. Hamas. And I think the Pasuk is giving us here an incredible lesson. Let's go back and read the Pasuk now again, through this lens. And the, uh, the land had become corrupted in front of God. And the land was full with this Hamas type theft. Those words, should ring a bell to a serious student of the Torah. Because we find those words, exact words, in another place. And his master will bring him where? In front of, not in front of God. 
What do those words mean, lifnei elokim, in that context? You have a slave, you tell it's time for the guy to leave, he doesn't want to leave, you go and you pierce his ear, where do you bring him? What does it mean you bring him lifnei ha'elokim? Anyone know? You bring him to Bet Din. Vatishachet ha'aretz, lifnei ha'elokim is a double entendre. It had become corrupted in front of God, but also in front of Bet Din. There was a level of corruption where the Bet Din couldn't sort anything out because everyone was doing things legally by the book, but morally bankrupt. The ultimate corruption is not when someone does something wrong that can be rectified, but when they do something wrong that cannot be rectified. It eats away at the, at the foundations of a society until there comes a point when there's, where there's no way back. And the only way forward is to destroy what you have and to start again. My friends, this idea, I don't think is limited to the realm of theft. Ah, it's just a stamp. I'm just stealing, I'm just taking a stamp from the office. It's just a stamp. You're on the clock, you work for your boss from nine to five. You make a phone call, you stole from your boss. You called your house, you stole. The worst part about that call is that you're never gonna do Teshuvah from it because you, you don't think anything's wrong. In fact, you think you're doing something really good because you called your wife during the day. And the rabbi said in the Shalom Bayi class that you should call your wife during the day. So not only did you not do a sin, you did a misvah. <laughs> okay? You're stealing. Now, if your boss allows it, or if that's understood to be part of it, or if you used your break time, great, wonderful. But, but those small things, they create a level of corruption that cannot be undone. But like I said, it's not just about stealing small things. I love the expression, pachot mishave peruta. Can anyone translate those words? Pachot? Less than shave, the value of peruta. What does peruta mean? Peruta means? The smallest coin, okay? But what is the root of the word piruta? Pirut. Prat. What does prat mean? An individual item, right? So if as an example, you're at a store and you want to know which lane you could take, they'll ask you, you want to go express, do you have less than asara, ten? Pratim, pritim. Do you have less than ten objects, individual objects? So there's something really powerful about that expression. That corruption comes when somebody takes something pachot It doesn't have its own individual status. We use that word all the time. We say hashkacha pratit, individual attention, uh, individual guidance from God. So the idea was that if something is not big enough to stand on its own as an individual, right? Nobody buys one grape. You buy a bunch of grapes. So one grape is not seen as important in the eyes of people. 
because it's only one, and you buy this normally in a bunch, that's not an individual item. No one's going to yell at you for taking a bunch of grapes to the express lane, because look, you have 24 items. You have 100 items. Dib, it's a thing of grapes. What do you want for my life? Pachot mishave peruta means that the process of corruption happens when someone looks at the elements, at the things that they do, and they don't see them for their individual value. What is one prayer? Come on. What is one amen? All right, whatever. I wasn't paying attention. One amen. Come on. One biracha. One argument. One lost temper. That's what the pasuki is communicating to us. How does corruption come? From not seeing the power, the importance, not seeing the moral responsibility to look out for each individual act. My friends, um, yesterday, the Yankees cemented a maybe. They won uh, the game that they needed to win in order to clinch a spot in the wild card. Okay? And who did they win? Who did they beat? to clinch their spot in the wild card, which means, for those that are uninitiated, it means that they're gonna have like a one-game playoff against the Red Sox to decide if they're gonna get into the real playoffs. Okay? Who did they win against? They beat the Tampa Bay, uh, the, the, sorry, the, the Tampa Rays, right? The, the, right, the Rays. Now, this is super important. The Rays have won 100 games. They are one of the teams that this year has, one of the five teams that has the lowest payroll in all of Major League Baseball. Who has the highest payroll in all of Major League Baseball? Yankees, historically. And the irony is that teams like the Astros and teams like the Rays are consistently doing far better with much less money with much less uh, expenditure, with much worse players. And they're going far farther and they're winning more games. And what is the secret to the success of the Rays and teams like it? It's based on an idea uh, that was put into a book, made into a film as well, called Moneyball. And the idea was that the way you win is not by bringing in a bunch of really great players and paying them whatever they want, but rather by asking yourself, what do I need in order to win this game? I need this many home runs. I need this many singles, this many doubles, this many triples. I need the, a fielding rate percentage without errors of X. I need an on-base percentage of X. And if I can assemble a team that gives me those numbers, then that's what it takes to win. The fact that I have a guy that hits 20 extra home runs more than I need is actually wasted capital. And it means that I can't reuse that money to get the pitchers that I need, or to get a catcher that's capable of making sure, or to get a person that doesn't drop the ball at second base, or a person doesn't strike out that many times, you know, versus hit that many home runs. That style of baseball, in my opinion, is in some ways indicative of this concept. 
noticing the small things, exactly what I need to get through. That single is important. That on-base percentage is important. But a lot of times, we, people, society, we don't look at things that way. We only want to look at the superstar guy that hits 75 grand slams. We only want to look at the quarterback that's shiny and glimmering in the light. We want the superstars on our teams. And my friends, what we want on our sports teams, we also want in our spiritual bank accounts. We want big, shiny, showy mitzvot. We want big, shiny, showy Talmud Torah. That's what we want. But we're not focusing on the minutia, on the small things that actually make the difference, that actually get you across the finish line. And it is in the uh, abstention of attention, in the, in the uh, looking away of something which is shave piruta, which is worthwhile as an individual statistic, it is worthwhile as an individual item, that there lies the difference between a corrupt world and a beautiful world. What does your wife need more from you? A big fancy vacation or for you to pay attention? What do your children need more from you? A fancy car or for you to be there in their lives? Those day in, day out things that are very small. What does your business need? Does it need to be, have a big showy, you know, dinner every year, you know, where you take rent out the Pierre? And, does it need that? Or does it need the employees to feel appreciated, to feel valued? What would get you more bang for your buck? A small raise to each one of the employees or a big fancy dinner at the end of the year? The boss sure likes that one. But which one do the employees prefer? What will make them give you their very best? That question, I think, and the answer to that question is hidden in this pasuk, Baruch Amen Amen.